This episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which I was lucky enough to head out to Barcelona and see being unveiled at its launch and to chat to athletes like Sharon Nikidi, who won the New York Marathon a few years ago, who does all of her easy and steady runs in this pair of shoes. And then we've set Jess from the Running Channel a very specific challenge to train for 12 weeks for her fastest, hopefully ever, 10K, which is also back out in Barcelona. Yeah, she is loving training in this shoe. And I think it's important as well because we're so lucky we get to test lots of different shoes. But we do know that some people just want that one pair that will do everything so Jess has been doing her long runs interval sessions and she will be tackling the final 10k in the Under Armour Infinite Elite shoes yeah big focus on endurance and a brand new foam which provides extra energy return and looks after you on even your longest runs so if you want to know more head to the link in the show notes listening to the running channel podcast with me sarah hartley my speedy co-host andy badley and button boy rick every single week we are going to be tackling a big topic within the world of running plus we'll be talking through some of the latest news events and most importantly we're going to be answering some of your questions too and you can take us with you on your runs so today we're going to be tackling marathon tips for success but before we do how are you doing Good, thank you. How's your week of running been? It's been good, actually. I did a muddy fun run with my kids on Sunday. Uh, we got really muddy. They loved it. It's a little bit further than Parkrun Junior, so it's about 3K, just from a local primary school supporting their PTA. So I was living the dream. Nice. That sounds so fun. I have not had that much fun with running. Although this week, I've tried to run in the evenings, which I'm not a fan of. I struggle with motivation if I don't get it done in the morning then it's really hard when it's dark and uh, you know you might put a long day at work in to actually like get out (laughs) put your shoes on and just get out the door yeah yesterday I literally left the house at 6 p.m and I don't know why but in my head I was like I failed but uh, there were so many other people out running but I was just like no it's the the time to run has passed yeah it's amazing how your circadian rhythm so how your body responds to different times of the day and also what you're used to how that can make your runs feel so you could have a massively different heart rate the rate of perceived exertion, so just how hard out of 10 it feels for you to run, can change depending on the time of day that you'll run versus what you're used to. Mm. I'm just knackered at night. I just, <laughs> I just can't run at night. Yeah, I went for a run on the beach this week, actually. Oh, Show flex. Off. I've been, yeah, no. have, you, been on have, holiday. You, have you been on holiday, Rick? Uh, I've been in Cornwall. I went for a run on the beach. And actually, people started asking me. Um, I bumped into this guy called Mike in the hot tub. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, you, honestly, you're not going to believe what his job was. He was a drag queen agent from Cardiff. Was he signing you up? Uh, well, I mean, I would have been open to it, to be honest with you. I thought if you were running on the beach in Cornwall, it was someone was going to spot you and thought you were refilming Chariots of Fire except you weren't actually running in slow-mo. Are they filming Baywatch in, in Cornwall? <laughs> no, this, this guy was asking me about um, marathon training and I didn't give away the fact that I work for the Run Channel. Uh, I was just chatting to him and then he's like, I can have some tips. I'm running the London Marathon coming up in April. And I was like, well, you know, you should listen to this um, amazing podcast. It's called The Running Channel Podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it. And he's like, The Running Channel, that rings a bell. He's like, you can get it on YouTube, can't you? I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, anyway, have a nice hot tub, mate. All the best. Well, that's an excellent segue. Let's try and answer his questions. Let's give him some marathon training tips. A hundred percent. So this week's topic is all to do with marathon training. Whether you're running a marathon this year or not, there is going to be something useful in here for you. Um, And actually, just quickly, thanks so much to everyone who has listened so far. Like Rick's recommending things in the hot tub. I've heard so many people recommend this podcast to their friends. And it is so, so cool to see that people have actually listened and, and reviewed it yeah and given us those reviews they're important they help other people to find us so if you like it do give us a, a, a nice review and hopefully five stars 
um, can't demand that, but just a, a if you want to leave three stars, there are loads of other podcasts. <laughs> <you're gonna> do <laughs> that. <laughs> but then five stars come to us. But then back to marathons, yes. Sarah, you ran your first marathon in 2021. I guess is there is there to, as a starting point is there one single piece of advice that you got given on that journey that you've kind of clung on to that would be useful for other people to know? There are I'm going to go with two because so for me for my first one everybody said to me just enjoy it it's your first marathon just enjoy it and I half listened but that for me is my biggest regret now looking back that nothing is going to go 100% to plan with your first marathon. There's always going to be a surprise. That doesn't mean that you failed. That just means that you're enjoying the experience. But if you're open to things not quite going to plan, but you're 100% just ready to enjoy it, that is how you're going to have the best experience. I think I put a little bit too much pressure on myself and also was a little bit naive going into it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Well, I I think no one puts more pressure on you than you put on yourself and there's this perception that loads of other people might care you you might have said out loud that you have a goal to run a particular time um or that you want to achieve a particular milestone in that in that marathon maybe but actually just take that pressure off yourself no one's thinking about it as much as you are you'll be obsessing about it so much more than the people that potentially you're worried about who might see it on Strava or all of these places that are inconsequential basically you just need to go out there have that experience um and then reflect on it afterwards. And if you wanted to change something, then change it the next time. But don't beat yourself up if you have to miss a run because of work or how you're feeling. Don't worry about not feeling on your best form in every workout. Don't try and catch up training to try and hit this mythical goal. Just uh, embrace the the ups and the downs because it's hard work. Yeah, and it, it takes a long time compared to anything that you would have trained for before. The marathon training is like no other there are huge runs in there that look really scary and really daunting but actually if you just follow the plan and just stick to it I at the moment am training for my third marathon um in Japan at the end of February and one thing that I found is that this time around I've been working with a coach so I couldn't tell you what training I'm doing next week because I only know one week at a time and actually if I could go back again and do my first marathon, I think I would have had my training plan up on the wall and just covered up yeah, <laughs> the, do, the rest of the week. Do you feel that that's slightly kind of unburdened you? It's taking the weight off your shoulders, the pressure of like looking ahead and you're just kind of, you do what you're told and does it also potentially keep you accountable? Yeah, 100% because I still know at the start of this process, I still knew that I was going to have to run 30 kilometers. Mm-hmm. In fact, I ended up running 35. Thanks, Andy Hobdell. As, <laughs> as hard so and, as it sounds. Andy coached me during my career and is now coaching Sarah to her marathon. So um, I know what you're experiencing. I, I know those <laughs> Sunday night texts of training this week uh, and just sort of take that in, read it through. <laughs> like, and, Thanks. Yes, there's, there's uh, some choice emojis became my like uh, <laughs> most recently used. <laughs> they, were, they were regularly just reserved for Andy. I have just replied a lot being like, okay, exclamation mark. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, just roll um, with it. But if you trust in it, like you you are going to be able to run 30k at the end of the training block. Mm. You 100% are. And it, it might not feel good. It might feel yeah. quite hard, but actually it's better to just go with it, go with the flow. But definitely my first biggest tip would be be prepared like the phrase failed to prepare or prepare to fail. Is yeah, that yeah, that is, that is a phrase. It took you a while to remember <laughs> I always it. always get it the wrong way around. Got it out in the end. Got it out there. We got yeah, it so out there. So normally you prepare to fail. Fail to, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Yes. That's the one. Nailed it. That has never been more true of marathon training. So yeah. if you are, we're, if you're training for London or if you're training for any spring marathon, we're what? Maths. Eight to 10 weeks away? T- 10 weeks. 10 weeks. 10 weeks away, roughly at the time of recording. Mm. But 
the biggest thing that you can be doing right now is not thinking about all the big runs that you've got to come, but thinking about what you can be doing now that will make those easier. Yeah, and, and not worrying about things that you might have missed either. Like you have to put the work in to get the most out of your marathon. And let's address the elephant in the room here before Rick and Sarah uh, pull me up on it is I haven't run a marathon. Yet. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have, which is I quite have. unbelievable. I know. I, I, so I want to run it. I'll say it on the podcast. 2023 is the year where I want to build up and run a marathon uh, and run a marathon. So I'm getting my words tangled because I'm so nervous about this. How's, uh, how's going to the gym, Andy? I've been doing it. I've been doing my exercises. So Sarah's, Sarah's smiling at me knowingly like I wouldn't have done this. But I finally had some proper physio advice for a, an ongoing knee problem that has meant I could only run a certain amount every week or a certain distance. And I've been doing those because um, that's ultimately the problem with going to see the physio. Loads of people do it. They like address the problems that they might have had that have caused them injuries in the past. And then they go back to the physio eight weeks later and they haven't done any of the exercises. But I've been pretty, I've been pretty religious. Um, my kids have all grown up with me doing crazy things. I've got some videos of, of like my eldest when she was one or two practicing rolling on a lacrosse ball and a foam roller and all of this sort of stuff. Like, and he is still to this day, he turns up to running channel challenges with a wooden spoon. I, I do. That, that, I mean, that's not a reference to me potentially coming last, which is also true. Um, the wooden spoon being the famous uh, rugby anecdote for last place. But no, I um, I use that for fascial release. So like we'll rub the, you know, outside of my quads or calves with it to try and it's a ch basically I'm too cheap to buy one of the actual massage sticks. <laughs> well, they weren't invented when you were competing. So. Yeah. And my, <laughs> that, brilliant. <laughs> I missed that. I was too busy thinking about what I was going to say, which is that my lovely long suffering wife is quite often uh, when we're cooking or something together in the kitchen, she might suddenly say, well, where's that spoon? I was like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's a iffy oh, road yeah. track in Oxford. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, oh, that's in my bag that. with my sweaty oh. running kit. Should I like, whip it out to make a hot pot? <laughs> those massage those massage sticks are so good, I think, for marathon training because mm. your body just takes an absolute hammering. Yeah, I think, I think that's another good tip as well from a marathon perspective. You're putting a lot of distance into your legs. Even if you're experienced, then you might be trying to run a faster time. So therefore you're increasing your intensity. Or if it's the first time running a marathon, then you're increasing your distance. Your body needs to recover and you need to feel okay on your runs, subsequent runs. So a bit of self-care, whether that is massage or self-massage or some release with, uh, you know, a lacrosse ball or a yoga or stretching routine that you use to kind of stay in shape and stop yourself getting injured. That That's worth bearing in mind. Especially right at the start as well, because you are building up and the quicker that you can get into that routine, the better. So what... As someone who hasn't run a marathon, but you've <laughs> helped a lot of people run marathons. I was coming to you for advice when I yeah. was training for my first one. For someone who's training right now, what would your kind of biggest piece of advice be? Aim for consistency rather than one big hit. So don't just be thinking about that one big run. A lot of people build up focusing on their longest run, which is probably, you know, four or five weeks out from the main event. Um, don't just be terrified and think about that one thing. Also, don't judge your performance on one interval session so if you're trying to run a particular pace whether that's half marathon 10k marathon pace in, in a workout and you just don't feel great that's totally normal actually you're going to feel rubbish in a lot of your runs um and that's not going to be a reflection of how you feel on the day if you've done some training and you've been as consistent as you possibly can be then actually the race day itself is going to add x percent to how you feel just in terms of the adrenaline the crowds even at a smaller uh, a smaller marathon not necessarily london um, that's going to carry you through. Um, you just need to not get too excited in the in the early stages of that marathon. Yeah, so stick with it. Plan. Get a good training plan. Stick to your runs. Don't beat yourself up if you don't hit all of them. 
and trust the process. And if you have any questions about marathons specifically or anything that you want answered, then do email them through to podcast at the running channel.com. Um, coming up next, we've got the news where we pick a story every week in from the world of running to chat about. You're listening to the running channel podcast up next. We've got our favorite news stories from this week. Don't forget this episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their infinite elite shoes. Now at the running channel, we bang on all the time about how if you want to run fast, you need to run slow. I'm talking about the 80-20 rule. Yes, you need to do the vast majority of your training at an easier or steadier pace. And you need an everyday pair of running shoes that you trust to do that. And the Infinite Elite has brand new cushioning technology in the form of Under Armour's Hover Plus. So that's designed to support you for the whole of even your longest runs with extra cushioning and energy return. So that's what this is all about. Yeah, and if you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes. It's question time soon, so stay tuned while we're answering all of the questions that you've popped through to us at The Running Channel. But first up, it's the news, the things that we found interesting to talk about this week. Andy, what have you got? Right, well, London Marathon's coming up in April and they have announced their men's field. So at the time of recording, we haven't got the pro women's field yet, but the men's field is enough to get me really excited because we've got Kelvin Kipton, who is the third fastest marathon in history and also ran the fastest debut marathon ever in 2022 when he won the Valencia Marathon in 201.53. Kenanisa Bekele, who is one of the greatest of all time from Ethiopia, who was the second fastest marathon of all time. And then the defending champion, Kip Ruto, from last year. And in addition to that, in total, there are four of the five fastest men's marathoners in history that we turn the line, and Mo Farah as well, one of Great Britain's most successful ever Olympic runners. So for the last time, isn't it? Is it for the last time? The last time at London. Yeah. I don't think this is him retiring right. completely, but I think he's he's definitely saying that it's you know it's likely to be this year. And so this yeah, is his last chance to run London. Basically, said he's taking it one event at a time, right. which I think is quite sensible. You don't want to put all of the pressure on one event. Yeah, and, and what's amazing to me is I know you guys make fun of me for being old, but Mo and I are broadly <laughs> the same age. He's just about to turn forty, I think. So can you imagine right now because correct me if I'm wrong, quite often what happens is athletes, elite athletes will start at shorter distances and mm. then potentially kind of build up and up. Yeah. Could you imagine right now being an elite marathoner? I just couldn't justify the time and, and how the, the hard, hardest thing I found was being selfish. You have to be selfish to be successful to a point, obviously. Um, and, and by that, I mean, sacrificing things in your life and also sacrificing potentially time with your loved ones. I know Mo's spoken quite a lot about the time he spent used to spend away training and in different places all over the world. Um, and so that was the hardest thing for me when I did retire from running. I didn't announce it or anything. I just stopped because I couldn't justify the level of selfishness that I felt I required to pour into it. And that would have meant time away from my kids. Yeah, because it's not just competitions. It's also like I know, for example, Rose Harvey at the moment is out training at altitude. Mm. Philly Bowden's just come back from America, I think, doing altitude training. Like yeah. there's there's so much. If you're definitely like a UK athlete as well, you're going to want to go elsewhere in the world to train. Yeah, you're chasing training with the best people in the world because that helps you to get better. You're looking for either altitude or maybe warmth um, because, you know, sometimes the more extreme the conditions, the harder it is to put those those, those miles in. So yeah, I couldn't imagine doing it now. And, and also Bekele, he's the same age as well. So actually, a little bit of a anecdote. Way back when, 2001, um, would have been my first international as a junior for Great Britain. I was running the World Cross Country Championships in Ostend. And the winner of my race, the junior men's cross country, was Kenanisa Bekele. Um, and down in 50-somethingth place in that 
race was one Sir Mo Farah. Um, and then I think I came in about 80th in that race. There's about 150 people in the, in the field. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, feels like a lifetime ago. And, and I was three. That makes me feel physically sick, Sarah. Thanks very much. But those guys are still running. 20, 22 years on. Uh, shows you could still do it, mate, I think. <laughs> comeback, the comeback's on. Yeah. Even, but looking back then as well, I, like I looked at the times um, the other day um, because I'd seen this news story that, Bekele was three minutes ahead of Mo in that race as a, wow. as a junior. So we were 2001, I would have been 18 at What that was point. the distance? I think it was 8K, 8K, very muddy. It was an absolutely brutal course. It was so windy. It was like an on-old race course in Ostend uh, in Belgium. And it was just, um, it was, the conditions were disgusting. And another, oh, I'm getting all excited now. It was Paula Radcliffe obviously was a superstar at that point, but that was the first big major title that she won. She won the senior women's cross country there she beat Gita Wami I think had been a bit of a nemesis over other distances and I remember with other members of the the juniors and the GB squad you know we were fans of Paula Radcliffe we'd kind of had breakfast with her and, and then that day she was coming down the last 200 meters like neck and neck with this real chance to win and we were sprinting alongside the other sides of the advertising hoarding shouting at the top of our voice for, for Paula to win and then she pulled away and won it was like this incredible kind of um goosebumps moment for me I think that's so cool because as well, like that's a that's a type of race as well that like still goes on, still happens, but for whatever reason, like isn't quite as publicized as like there are so many other races that you can watch. So if you are interested in athletics, then definitely like pay attention to what you can go and see because stuff like that is incredible. Yeah, and, and it's versatility as well. Like I would definitely be a big supporter of Kipchoge for that title of the kind of the, the greatest of all time, but. Kenanisa Bekele has got to be up there too, just because of his versatility. He won multiple um, world cross country titles as well as world track medals and uh, is now like one of the, he's the second fastest marathon of all time. So he's got a pretty good claim to it too. Well, eyes on the London marathon then. And I'm very excited to see the elite women who are announced as well. I think Eilish McColgan said she's running. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Eilish is running. So everyone's going to be excited to see whether she can kind of follow in her, well, she's, she's plowing her own uh She's making her own inroads into records and so on. But obviously there's the family heritage with Liz McColgan's history and amazing runs that she had at the marathons too. So cool. Do you want to hear my news story? I would love to. So this is very different. This is Nike is suing Lululemon. Why? Because they feel... Now, I wrote this down because there's actually quite a lot of intricacies here. They're yeah. basically suing over a patent kind of infringement mm -hmm. because they think Lululemon has taken a lot of um money from shoes that they could have made through shoes so you would initially allegedly i'd say probably allegedly point, yeah. yeah sorry allegedly i'm not a lawyer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm so just I, recounting what i have read i had i had seen this now that you've mentioned it and i think that the yeah that there's it's going to be very difficult to 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 prove i imagine yeah but but certainly lululemon launched their first ever running shoes last year um and there's uh, to my understanding a claim from nike that they've infringed on their patents for particular elements of the design yeah so the that's what i thought was interesting so when i first saw this news story i was like okay then they must look the same but then mm. if you look at the shoes they are to the naked eye quite different yeah but the actual kind of claim is on the textile elements so knitted elements webbed areas tubular structures i think there's there's so much technology that goes yeah. into running shoes that actually that you never see yeah that you never yeah. see but this well, there's is so much crossover as well mm. and it'd be so difficult to prove i imagine yeah yeah i think uh, i think 
that that that's what will be interesting to find out. I wouldn't want to be, you know, I'm, I'm sure Lululemon aren't a poor com- company in terms of uh, legal fees, but you know, coming up against Nike in any kind of lawsuit would terrify me. Terrifying. Yeah. But I do think so. It's their Charge Feel Mid Shoe, which is actually it's got like a sock upper. Yeah. So I think that comes into the knitted bit. The Charge Feel Low, Bliss Feel, and Strong Feel shoes. It's interesting yeah. they've entered the world of running Lululemon, really, because, I mean, mm. their stuff's just so comfy. If I put those shoes on, I'd probably fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> they, do make, they do make beautiful stuff, and obviously it's important to say, just so that we don't get sued by Nike, um, or by Lululemon, that nothing's proven. It's it's this lawsuit that's been announced. We saw it in the news. Um, and the fascinating point for me is, is what you said, actually, that you just can't see a lot of the technology that, that you know, Nike have will have thousands of different patents for elements of their technology. Like I know, for example, the the specific curvature of the plate that they use in the Vaporfly, mm. which is the carbon plate inside it, is very different. We actually cut some open. There's one right here um, on, our, on our shelf next to us where we're recording the podcast. And the plate is, the fundamental shape of that is patented. So all of the other brands have had to find another way of creating that same propulsion by using a shape that's proprietary to them and not in any way going to infringe on Nike copyrights. Yeah, it's so interesting. Also, little bit of information when I did a bit more digging is that this isn't the first case between the two companies so previously um Nike have sued Lululemon over the mirror which they bought out mirror which is basically a it's an app isn't it no it's it's literally a mirror so it's like a fitness mirror where you can see the full your like full workout within the mirror so it's kind of like a screen mirror where you can see what you're doing and then the workout shows in front of you but interestingly Nike said that they had put in a kind of patent for this back in the 1980s which is oh, wow. incredible future, to think like future proofing yeah. but yeah i think i think often the, the to wrap this up the cases are so difficult to prove because a patent has to be so specific mm. so yeah it'd be interesting to see how that one plays out yeah stay tuned if you want part two of this when the announcement gets made we can do it amazing so you're listening to the Running Channel podcast. Coming up, we've got your questions, which we're answering. And if you'd like to have any answered in future episodes, then email in to podcast at theruningchannel.com. So every episode, I get to ask a couple of questions that you've sent in for Andy and Sarah to answer. So don't forget to send them in for next week and we'll try and fit them in. Um, first up this week... Clive emailed and asked, can you suggest a super shoe or sub elite super shoe for anyone who normally wears a stability shoe? And he asks, will a super shoe give me problems if I need overpronation support? Well, wow, that's quite detailed, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I, I, this is impossible to answer in, in, in like in succinctly to say, yes, go and buy this one shoe. But the things to look out for are that ultimately the top of the range um, super shoes, the ones that people are wearing to race distances in a lot of them are inherently unstable so they are uh, really efficient and and help your running efficiency if you have a neutral style which means you don't need pronation support um, and that you're um, confident in your gait and that you don't change that gait massively when you get too fatigued Um, but that doesn't mean it's impossible it depends on the, the level of stability that someone's still used to at the moment so if you have severe stability problems and need orthotics and all sorts of other stuff then um a lot of super shoes are likely to give you some issues but there are definitely more stable super shoes out there so what i'd be recommending is seeking out a shoe or a brand where the phone that they use is firmer so at the kind of i suppose bottom end of the spectrum in terms of price um the decathlon's super shoe the kd900x is actually made from a pbax phone just like nike's 
made by the same company who make the foam for Nike, but feels totally different. It's really firm, feels much more stable and kind of planted. Um, Hoka's shoes have a lower drop um, and also use a slightly firmer foam. Uh, and the way that their rocker works, I've certainly felt that they're two different kind of racing shoes, yeah. the, the Rocket X and the Carbon X, and that their subsequent variants you are know, more stable. Yeah. You know, when you say drop, does that mean drop from the front to the back? Yeah, back to the front. So how much higher your heel is than your toes is the heel drop. So um, most of the, the racing shoes are a lower drop anyway. Hoka have made their whole business around high stack height, low drop. Um but the, they're definitely ones to look at. Asics have a couple of different variants of their super shoe, depending on the way in which you run. So they are, uh, whether you are kind of a loping long strider or more of a shuffler, I think. Um, and again, the versions of those shoes that I've tested, they were a firmer foam. Um, and it depends on how well your foot fits within the, the shoe as well. So if they, they conform to your foot and give you that extra level of support just through the fit, I would look for that. And there's no real subsequent, substitute for actually trying it out on a treadmill in a specialist running store because that'll show you how un unstable you are one thing on the stability though that's quite interesting so if you've ever seen the running channel video that we did on how just how fast is world record 10k pace lots of us turned up to the track with carbon plated shoes yeah. and actually cornering in carbon plated shoes yeah. is incredibly difficult so even if you are a neutral runner and you're looking for like a really fast shoe if you're going to be running a race where there's lots of corners yeah. or if you are doing it on the track that is definitely something to consider wow. as well it's a great shout if you think about the fact that, that most of them are this almost four centimeters of stack height so you're four centimeters off the ground as you try and push around a corner your foot wants to kind of slide off to the side of the shoe uh. so that's going to exacerbate any stability issues that somebody might have. And isn't that the legal limit as well, four centimetres? It, it is, yeah. yeah. We, uh, I think uh, we may have speak, spoken about that on a previous episode yeah, of, the, uh, of the podcast. It shows I've, I've been listening. <laughs> yeah. oh, well done, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing as well is quite there are quite a lot of, I can't remember, it might be Valencia Marathon. A lot of it's on cobbles. Um, yeah. And I think I was talking to Jen Rines, who ran it um, a few years ago. And she was saying that that was the hardest thing for her because again, like yeah. you can have a very fast shoe, but they are built for kind of optimum surfaces as well. Yeah. And so to summarize the, the question was like, will a super shoe give you problems if you do need over, over pronation support? The longer that you run, the longer the distances that you're running, the more increased that risk is. So likely if you're running a five or a 10 K, then you're more likely to be able to get away with it because you're running faster. Your foot contact time is reduced. Your tendons and the way that your biomechanics work is stiffer and therefore you're already providing your body with more support and you're less likely to fatigue and start kind of causing all sorts of injury problems next up we've got an email from neil and this is quite pertinent for the time of year i would suggest neil asks when training for a marathon and you start doing your 16 18 20 mile long runs should you do them at a steady pace without stopping or is it okay to break them down into one and two mile intervals? It's, it's chunking, good, it? Rick. It's we're, chunking. Back, we're back talking about it is chunking. chunking. Yeah. <laughs> we can't get away from this bloody it, chunking. It, it's true though. You know, it, it's proper chunking time at the moment, especially if you're doing London. Yeah, I think mentally as much as anything else, if you, you're taking on big distances, you need to consider psychologically breaking things down to allow you to get through them a little bit more easily. Yes. So with every long run that I've been doing in my current marathon training block, it has never been run this distance at this pace. Go. Yeah. It has always been broken down into intervals. There haven't necessarily been any kind of breaks like in a typical interval session where you do one yeah. mile and then 60 seconds rest and then carried on. But for example, at the start of my block, I did quite a lot of 10 mile runs on a Sunday and it was always either 
five miles at an easier pace and then five miles at marathon pace or yeah. the other way around, yeah. start at marathon pace and then go easy. And that's breaking up in your mind when you're approaching it. You can get that kind of first bit out of the way and then move on to the second bit without thinking about it too much. Mm. I think if you've built up in a sensible progression in your marathon training plan to be taking the or taking on your 16, 18, 20 mile runs, then I don't, don't think you should be in a position where you need to stop and walk, for example, uh, if that's what the question is. But there's nothing wrong with that. Like uh, a lot of the best marathons have a, a cutoff time that definitely caters for walk running. Uh, we've covered it on the channel as well. Jeffing, Jeff Galloway is a proponent of like walking and running when you need to, to allow yourself to actually run further and overall faster on average anyway. And if that's something that you are considering, if a marathon is something you never thought you could do, then have a look at the Jeff Galloway website because it can work out the perfect run walk strategy for you. Um, there's like a calculator yeah. on there. Yeah. So the, the the simple answer is if you've built up sensibly, then there's no reason you shouldn't be able to, to run most of it, but actually stopping for a walk if you need to or breaking it up mentally into intervals, but I wouldn't call it interval training. So I don't think you should be looking to run any element of your really long runs hard. No. Um, you want to get through them, spend the time on your feet, be out there for long enough that you're confident that on, on the day of the actual event, you're going to be able to, through some combination of running at a steady pace, maybe walking if you need to get through that distance also if you can do it progressively that's a really nice way of doing it so if you start at maybe start at an easy pace and then if it's a 30 kilometer run do the first 10k at an easy pace yeah. then the second 10k at a slightly faster pace and then the third 10k at like no more than marathon pace that's training your body to work harder on tired legs which ultimately is really going to benefit you on race day as well yeah, and depending on whether this works for your mentality or whether it means that you just dive inside and go to bed and give up, you could do it <laughs> in, in terms of laps. Yeah. I know a lot of people that would have done, if they're doing a 30k run, do three 10k laps because it allows them to stash gels, drinks, bottles and so on at the start point of their route, even if that's their own house, um, and then grab it, get their nutrition on the go as they're going without having to carry what can be quite a heavy oh, water. I'm so sorry. tempting to stop. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you, if you, I you could run do past it. your house on a, a Sunday afternoon, you know, it's gone past two o'clock, you know, one o'clock. Uh, and one o'clock uh, for you mate yeah. <laughs> two o'clock Pinot Grigio it was Sunday five o'clock non-Sundays it's two right okay yeah. two, um, I, I've definitely so uh, I've definitely been for lunch with you a lot earlier than two o'clock <laughs> when wine is always on the menu yeah not gonna lie I, I like the lap method yeah. but if the front door is the start and end yeah. point okay, maybe of the drive, lap maybe, it's, maybe, it's uh, not happening it's not happening maybe drive somewhere so that yeah. your start point is the boot of your car. Yeah, drive somewhere. Although I did see someone on Instagram who had to do the walk of shame after their long run because they'd driven somewhere, taken off a long sleeve top halfway through the run and stashed it in a bush and then completely forgotten about it. And <laughs> oh, then just walked in a crop top, back in it? their yeah, like walked back in their recovery sliders after a long run <laughs> to uh, go grab brilliant. it. <laughs> so good. I think I I think that's you should own that. I don't think that's a walk of shame. I think that's like a badge of honour. You've, yeah. com you've completed something. It's like, yeah, I was here this morning doing yeah. my long run. Nailed it. What were you doing? Brilliant. You've been listening to the Running Channel podcast. Please do rate, review and subscribe to come back for more. We're going to keep you up to date with Sarah's marathon attempt because she's heading out to Osaka in Japan for what will hopefully be an epic journey out there. And make sure that you mention my name. We've got a bet going on. So in any reviews that you leave, A-N-D-Y, because really? whoever gets the most... I mean, really? come on. Mention your name in reviews. Come on. Oh, oh okay. That was a bad idea then, but I, I thought it was nice. Bye. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. 
This episode was brought to you by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which has a focus on both comfort and endurance. So an ultra springy, responsive feel that protects your legs and keeps them feeling fresh, which is what Jess has been putting to the test as she's been training for over the last 12 weeks for taking on her ultimate ever 10K. And she's been focused on consistency. So being able to show up with those fresh legs every day and every week in order to put in the work and the recovery that she needs to do to run her best. If you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes.